Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hello, welcome to DAF Tess of Masech HaSleita. Um, we're starting to get into a lot of uh, Agadita here, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, let's dive in. Okay, so we're going to start actually right on the bottom of Daf Ches Amad Beis, where we left off last time. Um, and we were discussing the concept of Mida Kineged Mida, that a person gets paid back, right, in the same measure, right, in the same manner that they, um, in the same way that they acted, right? That's the way they get paid back by Hashem. Um, and we were just about to show how this concept is reflected in the Saita's the process that the Saita goes through and her punishment, should she, should she be guilty? So we're going to start on the bottom of the daf, right? The third line from the bottom, fifth word on the line, towards the beginning, the chen. The chen metzinu b'saita. So we have found with regard to a Saita, shebemida shemadadaba madadula. The same measure she meted out in accordance with the actions that she did, she is Hashem deals back with her. He amda al pasach besa She stood at the entrance of her house to show herself off to him, right to her adulterer. Right. Correspondingly, the Kayan makes her stand at the entrance in front of everyone at the Shar Nikonor, at that eastern gate of the base Hamikdash. Umar Klein al and shows her disgrace to everyone. He parsala sudra nine al Raisha. She um, spread out these beautiful um, cloths, right, headkerchiefs on her head. Therefore, the Kayan takes the covering from off of her head. Manicha tafas her and just and casts it at her feet. He kashtalai pana, right? He, she, um, adorned her face, made her face beautiful for him, attractive for him. So correspondingly, her face discolors, right? Turns yellow, um, right? That we're going to describe later the process, right? If the site is guilty, what the um, process of her punishment looks like, right? And it says her face would, would discolor. Right? She colored her eyes. Right, as sort of like an eyeshadow for him. So therefore, um, she's guilty. Her eyes bolt outwards. He She braided her hair for him. Therefore, the kahen unbraids her hair. He her She gestured or beckoned to him with a finger. Therefore, it says her nails fall off. He she girded herself for him with a you know a beautiful ribbon. Therefore, the Kayan brings this Egyptian or rope, either Egyptian rope or a rope made from palm fibers. We discussed this last time, where he brings this thick rope, the kosher la and he ties it around her above her chest. 
He pashta la she stretched out her thigh for him, lefiha yurecha nefeles. Therefore, the Pasuk says her thighs would collapse from underneath her. He kibalta al kresa, she received him on her stomach, lefiha bitna tseva. Therefore, her uh, stomach gives way and bursts. He mazane She gives him to eat these delicacies to eat, right? Perhaps in the process of you know attracting, you know, getting uh, attracting him towards her. Therefore, her carbon, right, that she brings is of an animal food, right? It's of barley. He hiskisehu yain shubach. She gave him to drink fine wine, to drink bakaisis mishubachim and beautiful goblets. Right, the kayan gives her to drink these bitter waters in this broken earthenware uh, vessel. He right, she did her sin in secret. The one who dwells in, in secret high secret spaces, right? Pasuk referring to Hashem, Samba Panim will pay attention to her, pay heed to her, and punish her for what she did. Shinamar, as the Pasuk says, Pasuk in Eev, the Ain Naif Shamra Neshef, right? The eye of the adulterer um, waits for sundown, for it to be dark. Lamar saying, light to Shurani Ayin, right? No one's going to see me, right? Meaning that she believes that she is going to be able to hide from everyone. And we're saying no, right? And there's Hashem, it sees even what one does in secret. An alternate um, explanation. He She did her sin in secret. And Hashem revealed her sin uh, in public for all to see. Shinamar, as it says, right? One might um, cover that which is hateful to Hashem right? Deceptively. But then the evil will be revealed um, publicly, right? For the entire congregation. Okay, so this this is the whole, this completes sort of the list showing the parallelism, the parallels between the sin, the sight it does, and the specifications of the punishment she's given. Now we're going to return um, to a discussion. We're going to reference psukim that we talked about yesterday on the previous stop. Um, and these are psukim that we quoted to show this idea, to uh, prove this idea that a person is punished in accordance with the sa, with the measure that they need out, right? So one pasuk that we quoted was kikal sa'ayin barash, right? Literally means every... Uh, um, boot stamps loudly, but we also interpreted the word coming from the word sa'a, measure, every single measure, right, is is um, is cur- like is punished with a similar measure, right? And we had another Pesach which, which said b'sa'a, right? Similar um, play on words there, b'sa'a, right? Um, also coming from that word sa'a, right? Um, and so we're going to analyze these two psukim, <clears throat> right? So he said before, we learned out this concept 
um, that, you know, mita connected mita, that were punished measure for measure, from actually a third pasik from Eev. What pasik did we learn it from? Right? There's a pasik from Eev, which says that every single one, right, adds up to on the accounting sheet, right? Adds up to a great measure. All right, so that's the plus that we learned from. So Kikalsa Ein Sayin Barash Lamali. Why did we also need this other pasuk from Yeshayahu? Right, every single sa'a right is measured out um, appropriately. Likemida, uh, right, because that tells you not only is every action punished, but every action is punished exactly to the measure and exactly the same way that the action was done. So. On the previous stuff, we talked about um, this, how we learn, how we derive this concept of Mita Kanaganita. And we brought a number of sukim to um, illustrate this point. Uh, and so now we're going to return to that uh, analysis and look at it further. So the Gemara says, right, Since we learned out this concept from a Pasuk in, in, um, in Kahalis, which says, right? Every single, each thing adds on to another, right? To, to add on to the final account. So, why did we also quote another Pasuk from Yeshayahu? Um, the Pasuk literally means every boot stamped, stamps with um, harshness, right? Loudly. But we also saw that said that there was a play on words here. The word sa'ain comes from the word sa'a, right? So every single measure, right, is, is meted out. So why did we also need that pasuk? Likimida. It tells you that not only is every action, like, combined um, and then paid back and punished for, also likimida, every action is punished by the measure, right? Every action is punished with a punishment that is appropriate specifically for that action. Okay, so So since we learned that idea from why did we then quote a third Pasuk? In the previous stuff, we quoted a third Pasuk, which means when there's a when there's a full measure, when you send her away, you should contend with her, right? You'll, you'll fight back, fight back. So, Lemily, why did we need that third pasuk? So, this is L'chadarav Chinana Bar Papa. So, this pasuk teaches us the idea taught by Rav Bar Papa. To Amar Rav Bar Papa, right? Rav Bar Papa said, Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu Nifra Mena Ad Shilucha, right? Hashem only punishes a nation once it's sent away, meaning once that nation is going to be completely destroyed. Shinamar, as it says, right? When the measure is full, when it is that nation is sent away, that's when Hashem punishes that nation. Just a, some, some notes here about, you know, why why is this, right? Why does Hashem wait until the nation fully finishes its quota, you know, and it's ready to be completely destroyed, right? Um, so I, there's, I've read sort of two different almost opposite <laughs> explanations. So one of them is that, you know, every nation has a spiritual, sort of like a spark of holiness that gives it life. 
um, you know, like a nation on earth is really like represented by some sort of spiritual energy that gives that, that nation its, its, um, its life force. And, and that's energized by something godly. Right. Um, and, and once, and Hashem basically kind of waits until that, that nation has fully used out all of its holiness and, and only then is it destroyed. Like it doesn't like, you know, we kind of want to fully access every, you know, spark of holiness that's, that's in there. Um, and then another another explanation which the Be'eramayim Chaim gives is that you know we'll see this sort of in contrast to the to the Jewish people, right? That Hashem to the Jewish people, it says that Hashem we'll see later on Hashem, you know, kind of will will punish them slowly, like bit by bit, so that they'll never fully they'll never do anything that's so bad, they'll never like do so much evil that they're that they're worthy of being destroyed. And he says that's it's that's mm. coming out of a place of love, right? If you think about it, if you have like a child, you know, the child that you really care about. You're not going to like wait till I do something really bad. You're going to like as soon as they start slipping away, slipping off. You know, you're going to try to like immediately try to correct it and, and like give them as many opportunities as you can to correct their mistake and, and get back on track. Um, as a you know, so like the the fact that Hashem doesn't do that for the Jewish people and for the Jewish people, Hashem says, "I'm going to like punish you slowly, right? Like bit by bit," is is an expression of love, right? That He's trying to give them a, a chance to get back on track and do tshuva. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That really <laughs> puts a new perspective on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's right. That's this idea that um, that Shem waits right until the per- the the nation is wet, ready to destroy the nation, and that's when the punishment comes. Right. Now, interestingly, um, we're actually Gemara is going to question this idea. Amy, is that so? Vahama Rava, didn't Rava say? There are three cups which are spoken about with regard to Egypt. Rashi says the reference here is to the three cups, the Sarhamashkin, right? Way back in Parshas Miketz, right? There's a dream the Sarhamashkin has about three cups of wine that he's giving to Pare. So Medrash says that those three cups refer to three cups of misfortune, three waves of punishment that uh, befall Mitzrayim. Right, so Rabbi said, when did these three cups of punishment, when did these three punishments happen? Um, so Lama, why, why were they there? Achas Lama, or for what? Right, when did this happen? Achas Shashas Maisha. So one of them was drunk in the time of Maisha. So one of them was drunk in the days of Pare, right? So what is that a reference to? So that's in the time of Paranavai, right? In the, the king of Mitzrayim, which was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar. And one of them will be uh, drunk with her friends. That's a reference to the time of Mashiach when uh, all the evil nations will be punished. Now, so the issue here is that we see that there are different um, stages of punishment. We don't see that Mitzrayim is punished all at once and then destroyed. Rather, there are three different times at radically different times in history um, where, you know, the punishment is sort of meted out in stages. 
So the Chitema, so you might say, Hanach Azdu, right? After the first punishment, the Egyptians were destroyed. They went away. And the, the Egypts that we talk about later, they're different people, right? There are different people who settled in the land of Egypt. So, right, the Egypt is destroyed in the time of Misha, at the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Those Egyptians are destroyed. And then when we say, again, in the days of Har and Ho, or the time of Mashiach, that... Um, that the Egypt's going to be destroyed. We're talking about a different Egypt. It's just people who happen to be living in the land of Egypt, but they're not descended of the, those original, uh, that original nation. So that, that seems like a good answer, but uh, we're, there's a problem with it. But Hatanya, don't we have a brisa? I'm um, Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda said, Minyamin ger ha-mitzri hayali chaber, me tell me the Rabbi Akiva. Right, so Rabbi Yehuda had this friend, who was Minyamin. Minyamin was a Egyptian convert, and he was a friend. You know, they were both students of Rabbi Akiva. Amar Minyamin Gerhamitsri. So Minyamin Gerhamitsri had said, Ani Mitsri Rishain, right? I am a first generation Egyptian convert. Vinasasi Mitsris Rishain. I also, I married a woman who was also an Egyptian convert. Asti Libni Mitsris Shnia. So I'm going to have my son marry a woman who is a second generation Egyptian convert, meaning her parents had converted. So that my grandson, my son's son, will be a- able to marry a regular Jew. Right? There's a pasuk in the Torah which says that a, a matri, an Egyptian convert, right, cannot marry a full-fledged Jew until the third generation. Right? So when Yemen statement is reflective of that halacha and what Minyamin is actually the reason why it's relevant here is Minyamin is living at the times of the Mishnah and he's by following this halacha he's basically saying I am still of the original Egyptians the Egyptians today right like me we are still descendants of the original Mitzram and therefore we need to follow the halacha of not marrying a full-fledged Jew until the third generation this is in contrast for, um, you know, you, what you might have heard regarding other nations, right? So there's a there's a restriction against marrying um, men, male converts from Ammon and Moab. And today we generally say that all the nations were mixed up, right? We don't know which nation is which. And so we accept converts from all nations, right? But here, Ben Yemen seems to be saying he's of the view that no, I, even at this point in the time of the Mishnah, he is still a mystery and um, people of Egyptian descent are still considered descendants of the original Egyptians. Right. So because of these issues, right, we therefore reject this original version of uh, this interpretation of the Pasuk. So we say, No, really? How, if, if the Pasuk was interpreted, this is how, the way it was really interpreted. Amar Abchanadab, our Papa, this is what Abchanadab Papa really meant to say. Right, Hashem doesn't punish a king until he's ready for that king to destroy that king and to um, eradicate him. Right? It says when the measure is full, when he sends it, him away, this king away, uh, he will punish Amemar Mastila Hadra Pinabar Papa Aha. Right, so Amemar, um, he taught the same teaching of our Papa, but he connected it with this 
other pasuk. And Right, have not changed. I haven't changed my mind. Right, and you, the Jewish people, I, you know, I have not destroyed. Um, right, so the word shenisi literally means to to change, right, or to. But here, um, right. So, but the way we're interpreting it here um, is ani havaya shenisi. What does that mean? I have not struck a nation twice, right? Meaning once I strike a nation, I get rid of them for good. But the Atem, in contrast, the Jewish people, uh, I might punish, but I never destroy. That's what it's written. Uh, it's written in Devarim, right? The Taikhashem is describing like all the terrible things that will befall the Jewish people should they sin. And it says, my arrows will be finished. I will finish my arrows in them. Uh, which, you know, on the face of it sounds like just a terrible uh description of you know suffering and punishment. But like Mary says, my arrows will be used up. But they will sort of outlive the arrows. They will not be destroyed. Um, right? This kind of highlights the contrast that Asa was saying before, right? With the way the Jewish people are punished, right? They're punished right. in a manner where, right, um, where they are punished multiple times and never are the Jewish people completely destroyed. Right. It's also like a symbol. I mean, this love that Hashem has shown the Jewish people, I remember reading some also from the Maharal, like it kind of shows that that, like Hashem's relationship with us is deeper than his, you know, whatever other agenda he has for the world, you know, which is why it's saying like, you'll never really be finished. Like, even if like, you know, I want you, there's, there's things that you did wrong or there's things that um, need to be fixed. Um, you know, the arrows are gonna, are gonna be destroyed before you will, you know? Wow. We, so we outlive the, so the arrows like represent the purpose or the direction, right? right. Hashem has, has for the world. world, and we outlive that. Yeah, like we come from a different source than that does. Yeah, exactly. than the arrows. Yeah. Wow. Um. So yeah. So now we're going to take the same same idea, and we're going to direct it on a more personal level, right? Right now, we're talking at a very broad level in terms of nations and kings. Amar of Habnuna, Amar Habnuna said, Hashem does not punish a person until his own measure is full. When his desire is full, right, then his, it will be, he'll be pained, right? So when your person has, his measure is then it's full, that's when he's punished. Darish Rebchenen of our Papa, Darshan explained, my dixiv rananu tzadikim bashem Right, the Pesach says, um, righteous ones, right, sing to Hashem. Praise of Hashem is Nava, is beautiful for those who are righteous. Also, great Nava, don't read the Pesach. Nava, beautiful. Allah, Nevei Stihila, a beautiful home, place, right, a beautiful or everlasting home. That Meshav David. this Pesach is referring to Meshav David. Their enemies had no power over their actions. Um, so, as it says, 
David says, right? So how do we know David? It says, Tabu right? Describes the destruction of the base of the base of in Yerushalayim. And it says, her Tabu her gates sunk into the ground. Um, and we actually, the Chazal actually explained this passage is this is actually a sort of a positive thing, right? The the gates that David Amal built sunk into the ground so that the enemies of the Jewish people would not be able to destroy it. Maisha. So where do we see this idea with Maisha? The Amar Mar, Misha Nibna Mikdash Rishan, Nignaz Ayal Mayad, Krashev, Krasev, Ubrechav, Amudav, Badanav, Hecha. So it says when, when the base of Mikdash was built, the Isle Mayad was hidden. So, so the Gemara asks, where are all those beams and sockets and pillars uh, and clasps? Right, where are they? Amar Rav Chista, Amar Avimi. So Rav Chista said, Avimi said, Tachas Mechilais Shel Heichal. Right, it's underneath in this, these tunnels underneath the base of Mekdash. Right, so the Mishkan was hidden underneath so that when the base, even when the base of Mekdash was destroyed, the Mishkan was still untouched. Okay, so now <laughs> we took this long detour. We're going to circle back to the Saita, uh, still on this theme of how she's punished Mida connected Mida. So Tani Ravanan, sages have taught, Saita nasna enav, amisha enairayla, right? This Saita um, cast her eyes and desired someone who wasn't fitting to her. Masha biksha leinitela, umasha biyada natlu. Right. And so what was her punishment? What she wanted wasn't given to her. And more than that, even what she had was taken from her. Right. Rashi explains, right, she wanted to, you know, be with this other man. And not only was she not permitted to be with him, should she be guilty or admit her guilt, she's no longer permitted to um, be with her husband. Right, so it says this is a general principle. Anyone who desires or, or um, something that isn't his, right, they don't give him what we want. Even what they already had is taken. So we're going to give a bunch of examples of this. We find this with the snake. That original snake in Ganidit. It says he cast his eyes, he desired something that wasn't his. So what he wanted wasn't given to him, and what was in his hand already was taken from him. So what does this mean? So we're gonna explain. Amar Kadishbar, who Hashem had said, I said that you were going to be the king over all of the animals, right? In, uh, you know, the king of the king of the jungle, right? Of all the animals in the land of Akshav. And now, you're now cursed, the cursed, most cursed of all the animals uh, and all the wild animals in the field. I said that you were going to stand upright. The snake was originally designed to stand on two feet like a human. Now you're going to slither on your stomach. Right, the snake was originally supposed to eat 
human food out of our yoko. Now you're going to eat dust. Krista, I'm worried about that, about the eating dust. Why is that a punishment? You know, like a first glance, it seems like a, uh, a reward, right? Dust is everywhere. <laughs> right? Your food is Easy. easily accessible, right? Um, <laughs> so just two explanations. One, the part of Joseph says that it's sort of symbolically means he, he would no longer have any pleasure, right? It's like we're just eating dust. It means like he didn't, there's no pleasure in life anymore. Um, mm. And, and, it's, and another idea that the Chodesh Harim says, like a really beautiful idea, which is that the curse is that it will be so, his food will be so accessible, he'll never have to ask Hashem for anything, right? And, mm. and like that's, that's the biggest curse, that like there'll be no opportunity for him to have a relationship with Kedusha. Um, wow. like anyway, the fact that we need things and we have to ask Hashem for it, like it's not easily accessible to us, that gives us a relationship with Hashem, that Hashem is saying, like, I don't want to hear from you anymore, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. Why is it? Why is it a punishment? Well, way, when it says that the snake wanted what what well, wasn't appropriate for him, it's actually referring to Chava, right? The the, the Gemara. Yeah, like, I think we're gonna get to that in the Gemara. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The yeah, Gemara yeah. is gonna explain, right? What? So what was it? Right? We just talked about the punishment. So what right, actually right, right. was it that he wanted that he didn't get that wasn't his? Right. So what did he say? So who Amar he had said, I guess Adam the Asa is Chava. Right, he wanted to kill Adam and marry Chava. Right in the Pesuk game, it just sounds like I don't know. He's just like evil for the sake of being evil, and he's just slimy and you know sneaky and wants to convince Chava to eat. But the backstory here is that really he wants to get Adam to eat the fruit, die, and then marry Chava. Um, so because of that, Achshav. Now it happened. Eva asis benech uvena isha zara I'm going to place hatred between you and this woman and her descendants, and between your descendants and her descendants. Right. The chain that we see a similar pattern with other characters in Tanakh, but Kain. Right. So that Kain um, desired that one of the reasons for his sin is that he desired his brother's twin sister um he wanted to marry her says that every every um one of adam's kids were born with a twin sister and hevel was born with a triplet like two triplets like two sisters who completed the triplet with him so kind of wanted that triplet the kaira right kaira wanted the kahuna bilam says bilam wanted money he wanted balak's money for destroying Mm -hmm. jewish people daig right a famous uh, character in the story of Shal and David, where he was jealous of David's um, wisdom and beauty and power in the kingdom, and therefore tried to um, get Shaul, right, incited really Shaul to to chase David. Achitaifel, right, famously um, started a rebellion against David Hamalach with his own son, right, Shaul. Uh, so he he wanted power. Gechazi, it says Gechazi wanted riches, and right he. He lied, right, to get more riches from, from someone who had come to visit Elisha, Afshalom, right, Afshalom, David's son. He uh, wanted power and kingship, and he rebelled against his father. Adaniyahu, also a similar story, rebelled against his brother, Shlomo, right, for the sake. So actually, interestingly, the sake of power, of kingship, but actually says really what he wanted is he wanted the wife, Right, Avishag, who is to be Shomel's wife. Uh, Uziyahu, right, he was jealous. He wanted to be a Kahin. He was jealous of the Kahuna, so he was punished for that. Uh, and Haman, right? Also, Haman wanted power and money, right? Um, 
So it's an interesting list of people, but all these other people who should not do a name of Masha and at Rylehem, they cast their eyes. They were jealous of something that they didn't have. And what was the result? Masha Bikshulonitanlehem, what they wanted wasn't given to them. Umasha Biyadam, that's literally happened. Even what they already had, right, was taken from them as a result. All these people meet really terrible <laughs> ends. Okay, so now we're going to circle back to the Mishnah, right? We're going to analyze that final line of the Mishnah we started with. Um, and so, well, sorry, not really quite the Mishnah, but when, what we said sort of on the last stop, which was the idea of that one of the parallels between what she did and the punishment she gets is that the sin started in the thigh, and therefore um, the Pusik says, right, um, that first her thigh is going to fall and then her stomach. So we know how to, at least so the, the word says, how do we know this? That she gets punished first in the thigh. So you could say, all right, it's actually very simple. You look at the Pasuk, right? But Midbar Parakei, Pasuk Kapalv, it says the Kaihain makes the woman swear. And there's a curse, right? Which he makes her say, which says that if you're guilty, right? Hashem will make your thigh fall and then your stomach Burst. Now there's an issue. There's a pasuk, which is like you know a few seconds later, which says right. It actually this is the pasuk which actually describes what happened. It says okay, so then if the one the woman drinks, if she is guilty, then her stomach will burst and her thigh will fall. So this pasuk, which actually describes the events as they occur, the stomach is mentioned before the thigh. All right, so what's going on here? So Amar Abai, Abai said, Ki layat, layat layat. So when when the Kaya administers the curse, right? She in the curse, first you mention the thigh and then you mention the stomach, right? Corresponding to the order of the sin. Umaya ki badki ki urchayubatiki. But when the waters check her, they check her in the natural way that the water travels through the body, right? So if you drink the water, the water is first going to reach the stomach and then the thigh. So beta and barisha, the hadariyara. Um, right, so first in her stomach and then in her thigh, right? So we see that she was cursed first in her thigh, but in actuality, right, it's in her stomach first, which is why the pusik describing the events as they occur First mentions the stomach and then the thigh. All right. Well, there's a little problem with that <laughs> with that explanation. The klala namiksiv. So actually, if you look at the psukim regarding the curse, it also it says it also says some. It also there's a pasuk which mentions the stomach first. It says litzvayz beten v'lin Right. First, the thigh is going to burst, and then the thigh is going to fall. So we say hahu demodi la kohen de beten beresha because the kohen curses her thigh and then her stomach, but then the Kayan lets her know when you actually drink the waters, first your stomach is going to get struck and then your thigh. Because so as not to um, make cast aspersions on the water. Right? So, people, so people shouldn't be suspicious and say, hmm, you know, the Kayan said one thing, but then something else actually happened. So the Kayan lets her know that that is the order in which the punishment will actually occur. All right. Okay. Next so, 
next mishnah or moving right along so this mishnah is actually going to be a, a complete like kind of aside we're going to get into a lot of really interesting agadita and the subject of the next little bit will be about shimshon right uh continuing on the theme of mida kine and mida we're going to discuss um the events of shimshon's life right and um you know how he was punished uh, in accordance with his actions. This is like a brief introduction. I mean, I'm sure Hadassah will have a lot to say also, so I'm not going to say too much, but Jim Jonah is just a really fascinating character in Tanakh. I mean, in a sense, he's really the first double agent, right? The Pesach says he, his strategy sort of, to, of protecting the Jewish people was marrying a, a number, a series of Plishti women and sort of infiltrating the society from the inside. Um, so that's what that's what Shimshon did. And the public tells us that's why he married, you know, these women. <laughs> Nevertheless, the Gemara here is going to have somewhat of a negative perspective on many of Shimshon's actions. Um, and it so on the one hand, it'll say amazing things about Shimshon, and Shimshon is considered a tzaddik, right? On the other hand, it's gonna have somewhat of a negative view of some of the things he did. Um, I guess kind of reminiscent of what we said a few dozen back, right, where the Saita is told about the sins, right, that Ruvain or Yehuda did. And it says these are things she's not worthy to hear, right, because, you know, the the sort of shot, well, the shot of the sukkah might make it sound like they committed, um, you know, ordinary sins, right? There's an understanding that um, there's really a deeper level here. So I think it's clear from the way the Gemara sort of has this, almost like bipolar view of Shimshon on the one hand. He's the greatest Sonic, and on the other hand, really has these really negative descriptions, um, sort of indicates there's something, I guess, more deep and more complex going on here. So Yeah, well said. Well, yeah, well, later on when the Gemara starts analyzing this in a little bit, um, we'll get into some, like, different perspectives about this, basically. Like, how do we understand, was Shimshon doing something wrong? And if he was, at least at certain points in the story, and if he was, what, what exactly was that? So... Yeah, we're going to start. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, just <laughs> What's up? further ado, then we'll dive right in. So, it says, Shimshon halach ich acher enav. Shimshon went after his eyes, right? Went after the desires that he saw. Mefichach, therefore, nakru plishtim es enav. Right at the end of his life, right? In his final stand, right? The final story of Shimshon, the plishtim poke out his eyes. Shinamar, as the Pesach says, Right, the plishtim, um, like grabbed hold of him and they poked at his eyes. Similarly, Avshalom, Avshalom, the son of David, and this guy he was um, very arrogant. He's very proud of his hair. Right, it says Avshalom had this really beautiful, really heavy hair that we'd have to trim every year. Um, when Avshalom was old by David's men, right, for rebelling. He is caught. The way he is caught, he is caught in a tree by his hair. Uh, it says he was running on a horse and his hair gets caught in a thicket. And that's how uh, he's caught. Since he's, um, he slept with his 10 pilakshim of his father, right? He did this to kind of assert his 
kingship. Lefichach nasnu by Aser Lunvias, right? He was pierced with with ten spears. Shnemar by Subo Nasha and Aser Nasha no state clay Yoav, right? It says that ten men who were the arms bearers of Yoav surrounded him. Ulefisha Ganav Gimel, he stole the hearts, right? He misled three groups of people. Ganav slave Abib. He, right, he stole, he misled his father, Lev Basin, he misled the Basin of Lev Yisrael and the Jewish people. Lefiha, therefore, Nitzke'u by Gimel Shvatim. It says that there were 10, like, sticks that were um, wedged into his heart. Shanamar Vayikach Shlotar Shvatim Bekapai Vayitkeim Lev Shalim, right? He took um, three stats or three sticks, sharp sticks in his hand, and he wedged it into Absalom's chest. The same in Ayatoba, right? Um, and this this idea until now we've been giving very negative examples, but the same principle applies in the positive sense. Miriam Himtina Lamaisha Shaachas, right? Miriam waited for Maisha just for one hour. Shadamar It says that his older sister, right, stood from afar. It says the Jewish people waited for her for seven days in the desert. So as it says, The people didn't travel until Miriam was gathered into the camp, right? This is when Miriam got Saras, right? And someone who asked Saras needs to stay outside of the camp. And the people waited until Miriam was healed to start traveling. Right, so another positive example of being rewarded uh, in the same measure that you that the person did the good deed. So Yosef Zechalikvaris Aviv, Yosef, you know, took on the merit of bearing his father Yaakov. The Ain Ba'achiv Gadlmimanu. Right. And even though Yaakov Yosef was the greatest, most prestigious of his brothers, he took the job. He took on the responsibility. Shinamar, but Yal Yosef Likvaris Aviv. But Yal Imo Gam Rechav Gam Prashim. Right, so it says Yosef went up to bury his father, and also his horses and chariots went up with him. Me, love you, God's only Yosef. Who is greater than Yosef? Shalonis Asikbo Elamosha. Right, and who, in reward for that, who buries Yosef? My Sherebino buries him. And the chain continues. My right? Moses took on the merit, the responsibility of of burying the bones of Yosef and taking them up from Israel. The end be Israel Godalman, and there is no one greater than Misha. Right. And even though, you know, much as a leader of the Jewish people, like couldn't you gotten someone else to do this job? No, Maisha himself. Right. Maisha himself took the bones of Yosef with him. Me by Who's greater than Maisha? Right? Who has the greater merit than Maisha? Who buries Maisha? Hashem. Says the Yikfar guy. He buried him in Gai. Hashem himself buries Maisha Rabinu. Lyle Maisha Bolvad Amru. This is not said about Maisha alone, right? This idea of Hashem sort of burying them, right, or like aiding them in death. Um, all righteous people. Shenamar v'halach lefanecha sitkecha kavod Hashem yaskecha. Righteousness will precede you, will like go before you, and Hashem's glory will gather you in. Just to know, there's sort of a contradiction here, right? Because first we're saying, you know, this is how look how great Maisha is that Hashem himself buried him, and then we're saying, well, actually, all to the game, it's true, right? So, what <laughs> is it, right? So the Maharsha says that that um, the difference with Maisha, meaning 
for all tzaddikim, Hashem um, is involved in um, kind of gathering their soul back to its source in some sense, whatever that means. Uh, but with Maisha, it wasn't only his soul, even his body, right? Like Hashem, Maisha's body was so holy. Um, it was like, it was almost like as spiritual as, as his soul. Like we see that he was on the mountain for 40 days without food or drink, right? Um, so that's what wow. we knew about Maisha was that even his body was was like, Hashem was like eating his body and, and, and being buried. Um, and then the Imri wow. Amos actually says that, um, this is actually true about Al-Tadikim. Like what it says here about Hashem eating, you know, kind of uh, escorting them to their, to their, to, in their passing is true about Al-Tadikim, but they, Al-Tadikim, but they're sprung from Maisha Rabinu, right? Like all, all future generations of Tadikim are sort of like extensions of Maisha. Um, and therefore the, that power or that, that merit comes from, from Maisha originally, which is why we're mentioning Maisha specifically. Mm, Moshe in every generation. Exactly. <laughs> the concept of- <laughs> right. Cool. Okay. So that's the Mishnah. And now we're going to really focus a lot on Shimshon, as I prepared you all for before. <laughs> so, all right. So it's Hanukkah Rabbanan, right? Our sages have taught Shimshon be'en of Mara. Shimshon rebelled or sinned with his eyes. Shinamar. So the Pasuk says, Vayomer Shimshon al-Aviv, Kakli. Right, so really, Hashem tells his father, "Take this woman, this plishy woman, for me as a wife, because she finds favor in my eyes." Right, the fichach therefore nakru plishdim as ena. The plishdim poke out his eyes. Shenamar, as it says, vayachazu plishdim vaynakru as ena. Right, and the plishdim grab hold of him and they poke out his eyes. Yeah, so the Gemara say, wait. Amy, is that so? Was this really a bad thing? The Huxiv, the Pasik actually tells us, informs us right there. Right? The Pasik tells us his father and mother didn't know this, but Shimshon really went to marry this woman on a because of Hashem. Right? Hashem had this plan for Shimshon to be there to marry this woman and infiltrate, as he said before, be this double agent and infiltrate from the inside. Right? So this wasn't you know, a negative. This wasn't a sin, right? This was all for a purpose. So this is like a very interesting line, which I think might be part of, right? Gives an interesting perspective on what's going on here. Yes. So he says, mm-hmm. Okay, that's true, right? That it was, it was from Hashem. But when he went, when he went to marry this woman, he did it because he, if she found favor in his eyes. Right. So, so this is, this is a very interesting concept. So uh, there's a few different approaches to this. Um, the Maharsha kind of explains this based on the, the Maimar Chazal, right? The Shabbat Adam writes, which means that wherever a person wants to go, Hashem will guide him there. Right. Meaning that like, if you, just, if you tell Hashem, like, you know, I, you know, I really want to do this thing, even if it's the wrong thing, Hashem says, okay, I'm going to, I'll let you, I'll, I'll allow you to go in that. I'll allow you to make your own mistakes, basically. Um, so kind of the what this is implying here is that um, Shimshon kind of wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily exactly right. And Hashem said, okay, like, I'll, I'll guide you along that. I'll, I'll let you go. In that. I'll fit I'll, that I'll into the plan. That. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll adjust my plan to accommodate the path that you want to go, right? So that, that's, that's one way to look at it. Um, another, another way of explaining this is really, like, aligned with, like, the whole big question in, in philosophical question in Judaism in general, which is, you know, Hashem's idea in our Bechira, right? That Hashem has a plan and how, where does that leave room for our own free choice, right? So sort of the way uh, some of the commentaries explain this is it's based on this Gemara that like Hashem, meaning Hashem, Hashem has a plan for what he wants, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's why you choose it, 
right? You choose it for your own reasons, right? You're not choosing it because that's what Hashem wants. It ends up being what Hashem wants, um, but that's not your motivation, um, which is why, let's say with Shimshan, right? Even if that it was ultimately what Hashem wanted, that wasn't Shimshan's motivation for doing it, which is why it could still be counted as, as something wrong, right? Um, mm. So that, that's another another explanation. Then the Rabbitsadik of Lublin, he, he kind of takes another path and he says, of course, there's no way we can say that Shimshan was doing anything wrong. Um, right, he's a tzaddik, like like you said, the Gemara himself itself calls Shimshon a tzaddik, and he says that when it says that this is what this is what Shimshon wanted, it means that he wanted because that was what Hashem wanted, right? It's not saying that that he like you know he just he would just you know wanted this woman for himself for his own selfish physical reasons, um, but he wanted to do it because he 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 felt that that's what Hashem wanted, right? Um, and sort of like the, I guess the, the criticism here is much more subtle, right? The criticism is just that he should have, um, he shouldn't have made an assumption that he would be able to sense just based on what his own, you know, um, like he, he, should, he shouldn't have assumed that what, what that what he wanted was also Hashem's rutzah, right? There was a little bit of like this, this, um, I guess almost like arrogance. Too oh, much. What was that? Like trusting his own instincts. Yeah, relying on his own judgment too much. I mean, like that's sort of what the criticism is. It's not saying that God forbid did anything wrong, but that he was, yeah, a little bit too uh, relied too much on his own judgment about that. But what Hashem actually right. wanted. But of course, like to make a step like that, you know, it's got to be you know, exactly that's pretty exactly. extreme. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just some, I mean, some thoughts. I don't know if you've seen this anywhere, but I just like I think the first time I learned this, I like I, this came to me. It's like. Perhaps you can say like, okay, like, you know, Shimshon, you know, had some knowledge or Ruch Kodesh is what he was supposed to do. But perhaps like, I feel like people could have mixed motivations. Like you could do something and know it's the right thing to do, but also have your own motivations like mixed in to that. Yes. Yes. I think I did see something like that also, right? Along these lines as well, right? Meaning that he also wanted it for the right, also because Hashem wanted it, but there was also like, there's too much of his own kind of personal, uh, feelings connected to it as well like his own um you know inclination there yeah along with it i mean it's, it's more complex <laughs> right there can be multiple yeah. levels I think it's so relatable actually like i'm saying it, that's much harder it's 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 relatively easy I mean, it's hard to do the right thing for the right reasons but right. what's even harder is to do something wrong for the right reasons right to do something which is right has all of this like you know, desire and physical like passion associated with it and completely dissociate from that and right. do it for the right reason. Like that's, that's quite the, quite the Herculean task. Um, but yeah, so anyway, we're saying here that, you know, Shimshon had his own, his own, whether it's his own motivation, his own reasons uh, mixed in to, to his choices, right? Which is why he's punished for them. Um, Tanya Rebbe, I'm right. So the Rebbe, there's a price that where Rebbe says, the beginning of his sort of descent, right? His his ruin was in Aza. That's why he was eventually struck, right? When he, he was, his eyes were poked out and he died was in Aza. Um, so what, what does this mean? His beginning uh, was in Aza. Right, so that Shemshon went to Aza and she saw he saw a harlot there um, and slept with her. Um, therefore, he was struck in Aza. 
or by a redo, I say Azatha. It says this place and captured Shimshon, and they took him down to Aza. So the Gemara says, hey, wait, this this incident in Aza is not the first woman that Shimshon marries. Right? It says the first woman that Shimshon marries is actually from Timnah. So Shimshon went down to Timnah. That's that first woman that he asked his father to marry, right? So that's actually the first, you know, woman he marries. So he said, um, sorry, I think I, he lost Kukulay. I think I just lost a lost the spot here. So it says no, but Tchilas Kukulay Miha Ba'azahaya. So it says okay, it's true that his um his right he married a woman in Timna first, but really the beginning of his real downfall was in Aza. Um, so it actually explains that in Timna he was he married a woman, right? But in Aza it was you know uh it was a, a harlot, right? So it was more um that was really the beginning of when it was you know. The, his descent, like moral descent, you can say. Um, so then, but after came, but he after came. So after this incident in Aza, what happens next? Right, this is the most famous of Shimshon's wives. It says that afterwards he loved a woman and lived in the valley of Shorik, and her name was Delila. Tanya Rabbi Omer, so the Bryce says, uh, quotes in the name of Rabbi like even if her name wasn't Delila it would be a good name for her meaning it it's a good the, the meaning of the name Delila reflects her character um Dildala is Kaichai Dildala is Levi Dildala is Masa right she weakened his strength weakened his heart and weakened his actions right his good deeds she weakened his strength. Right, says that you know he she cut his hair and therefore took his strength, his superhuman strength, away from him. Levi, she like you know weakened his heart. It says that you know the Lila saw that he, he had told her you know he, that Shimshon had told her everything that was on his heart, like all his secrets. Dildalas myself. And he also diminished his good deeds. It says that the Shechina left him. Right? It says that Shemshon woke up, right? He saw himself all tied up. His hair was cut, and he didn't realize that in the process, Hashem had left him. So we're now going to return to and analyze that passage we quoted. It says that Delila had seen, right? Delila was like pestering Shimshon to tell him, this, tell her the secret of his strength. And, he, you know, Shimshon keeps giving her excuses. And finally, right, when Shimshon tells her the real reason that it's because of his hair, it says that Delila saw that, you know, Shimshon had told the truth. So, I me mean, now you know. Like, how did she know, right? She's not a she's no prophetess. How does she know that he's telling the truth? Amar of Chayin. Rav says that the words of truth are are recognizable, right? You can tell, you know, someone who's perceptive can tell uh, when when someone is telling the truth. Abaye says, Yada I say tzaddik. She knew about this tzaddik, right? So we see here the Gemara's telling, right? It's kind of like sort of jarring uh, description in this context, right? But, right, Shimshon was a tzaddik. Right, Shimshon would never say Hashem's name in vain. 
So Kevin de Amar Nazir Elikim Ani, where he said, I am the Nazir of Elikim, right? Using Hashem's name. Amra Hashdavada Kushta. He says, okay, if he's using Hashem's name, it must be he's telling the truth. Right? So the Pasuk says, we're continuing our analysis of the story here. So it says that Delilah kind of pestered him with her words, like for all, like many, many days. And she kind of weakened him, right? She kind of broke down his resolve. So my will tell you, how did she do this? Right? So at the time of intimacy, she would slip out from underneath him. Um, the Ata. Okay, so now... Right. <laughs> We're kind of going to continue what the Gemara is going to do now, continue analyzing the story of Shimshon. But now we're going to kind of back up a bit. We're going to analyze the story of Shimshon all the way from the beginning, way back when Shimshon's mother um, is told that she's going to have a child. Right? They, she and her husband Manoah have been childless for many years. And um, they're told by an angel, right, that she's going to have a child. And the angel tells her who's going to be, who's to be Shimshon, right? That's the future Shimshon. And the mouth tells her, right? So the mouth tells her, okay, you're going to have a child. Make sure that you don't drink wine or alcoholic beverages and don't eat anything tame. So my called tame, what does it mean? Don't eat anything tame. Did she eat impure things? Was she eating trace until now? Right. So what the moth was referring to was things that are trafe or forbidden for a nazar to eat. That she was forbidden to eat. This Shimshon's mother was forbidden to eat during the duration of her pregnancy. Um, all right, so Fast forward to another story of Shimshon. Um, right, it says that Shimshon was kind of fleeing. He had just like killed a bunch of Plishtim and he was like alone in the wilderness and he was really thirsty. And it says Hashem, like there was a donkey bone, like a dried out donkey bone that Hashem sort of turned into like a spring of water that he was able to drink from. And um, Shimshon also used that donkey to kill 300 Plishtim. Right, so it says, So like Hashem kind of opened that like socket in like the jawbone of the stocky. Right, so it's this like crazy miracle, right? So, but what does Rabbi Yitzchak Rabbi Ami says? Who Eva Ladevar Tama? He desired impurity, right? He desired, uh, you know, to marry a non-Jewish woman. Therefore, his life was dependent and was saved by the jawbone of a donkey, which is a, a trace animal. So, like, um, so kind of like bizarre, right? That's kind of like, on the one hand, right, he has this amazing life-saving miracle done for him. But on the other hand, we're seeing this as a reflection of, I guess, some subtle um, evil. So, okay, I think we'll, I think we'll pause here. Right, this has been a it's been a long death, um, and we'll pick up tomorrow. We're going to continue uh, speaking about about Shimshon, and after that, we're going to go into the other you know individuals we mentioned in the Mishnah who are uh, paid back um, in kind with their actions. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.